wish Andy Day would change the name of the profession from selling to something else. Because <laughs> that's just a side conversation. Because when you think of, hey, I'm in sales, I got a sales role. Now my job is to sell. And it's a little confusing. I might be going on a bit of a tangent here because selling is not really, we use it as an action, right? I'm now selling. When a sale is just a result of having these type of self-realization conversations on behalf of the prospect or the prospect better understands themselves to A, say, Andy, I'd be interested in speaking further. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Charles Mulbauer. Charles is the Lead Enablement Manager at CB Insights. In our conversation today, we're talking about a topic that Charles and I both are pretty passionate about, and that's discovery. And so we dive right into it and talk about what's the single most important objective of discovery. And then we dig into when you do discovery. Is it just a stage in your sales process, or is this an ongoing process you do throughout the buyer's journey? We also talk about why you need to ask a why question, that's W-H-Y, a why question three times during discovery. And we also get into the various types of questions you can ask that will dramatically elevate the quality of your discovery. So all of this and much, much more, but before we get to Charles, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd also appreciate it. You could also leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Charles, welcome to the show. Andy, awesome to be here. Awesome. You put your hat on for me. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, look somewhat presentable today. Uh, So is it a bad hair day? Is that what the hat's for? Yeah, yeah, it's a bad hair day. It's a bad hair day every day. All right. So So I I can't. What's on the front of the hat? Uh, Front of the hat, yeah. It's um, uh, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Hot Hot Krispy Kreme. Original glazed donuts, hot now. A uh, little Krispy Kreme sign in the back nice. of the hat as well. So actually, Andy, uh, whenever I wear, I have multiple Krispy Kreme hats. Whenever I wear a Krispy Kreme hat, it puts a smile on people's faces. They're like, wow, I, I love Krispy Kreme. And I'm like, I know. It's just fantastic. So uh, <laughs> it makes people happy. Yeah, I mean, a warm Krispy Kreme, how can you not like it? Uh, I know. Yeah, very much. dangerous, but... It is delicious. Yeah, I'm not sure where one is anymore. They used to have a bunch, but they have many fewer than there used to be. You know, they started their peak, uh, you know, ten plus years or so ago, and then. But yeah, we we're just. I know there's one here in the San Diego area. I'm sure it's possibly more, but one that I know of that. Yeah, they keep popping up. It's it's coming back. It is okay. It's coming right. back. Yeah, there's an old movie. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Dazed and Confused. Yes. Uh, with, yes. Uh, I'm forgetting with Matthew McConaughey. Yes. McConaughey, I believe right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they they had a, a number of renovations. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> of new Krispy Kremes, and it said, you know, please pardon our renovation. We are currently glazed and confused. Oh, clever, clever. Hope they paid a royalty on that. So, all right. Well, so you're joining me from New York City. Yes. And you're saying that uh, you're actually back in your office. Back in the office. Uh, the sales team is back in the office at least um, at least twice a week. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. And so tell us what CB Insights does. Sure. CB Insights helps companies monitor innovation and disruption. There are many different types of organizations that we work with, investors, venture capital firms, as an example, uh, innovation teams who are in charge of monitoring any type of new technology that's currently being built out that they don't necessarily know about. Mm-hmm. It could be helpful to the organization in a number of different ways. So we provide all of this insight, this data, and research uh, to these organizations to help predict where things are also headed so that they can stay ahead of the games. So that's what we do at CB Insights. We sell this information to a lot of large organizations. On a subscription basis. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we were, yeah, we've yeah, been in touch for a while. Um, we're going to talk about discovery. So I know yeah. this is a particular interest of yours. It seems like uh, lion's share of your LinkedIn posts are about this topic. It is the lion's share, yeah. You, you think, you'd think, Andy, that... There's so only so much to write about a certain topic. <laughs> but, well, I think we got to write about it until we get it right. Well, so. very well said. Um, and I'm on here to learn uh, a lot from you as well. So I'm looking forward to this, <laughs> no. to this conversation. <laughs> You're supposed to be doing all the talking. This is this is uh, <laughs> I get to ask the questions. But okay. well, let me start. So, what is it about discovery that gets you so amped up? Ooh, what about discovery gets me amped up? So many things. And if you get a chance, if you, unfortunately, there's audio, but if you're watching Charles, as I am, he's, yeah, he's excited. He's rocking back and forth in his chair. He's, he, he's got the Discovery hat on. Do you wear that on calls? Yes. Okay, okay, good. Backwards 100%. or forwards? Uh, backwards, usually. Okay, all right, cool. <laughs> so, what is it about Discovery that gets you going? Yeah, um, Discovery can be and is a lot of fun because what gets me amped up about discovery is speaking as an account executive or a salesperson, I, the salesperson, get the chance to learn something new each time I am on a call Mm -hmm. with somebody. Um, I want to, yes, I am required to know certain things about the person that I'm speaking with to determine whether or not it's worth speaking further for the both of us. But that aside, I it gives me a chance to learn new things from a real professional in their mm-hmm. industry about what the, how they think about things, what they're concerned about. Um, what interests them, uh, and I, I, I take a lot of these nuggets in discovery, and and I, I, I bring that on other calls, or I, I bring that insight on other mm-hmm. calls, uh, and it also gives me a chance to share with them insight that I've heard from other people mm-hmm. in their industry. Sure, and it's a wonderful conversation between two parties whether or not we decide to work together. Of course, it's a purposeful conversation. It's not just having a conversation for the sake of having a conversation, but it's a purposeful, right. effective conversation. And I get 
I get amped up being able to learn something new from somebody and share insight with them that they might feel is worth discussing. Sure. That's, I feel very exciting. Okay. So let me ask you this question. Yes. Is, and this gets back to sort of this topic that, you know, I made the snarky comment at the beginning about, we'll keep talking about this until we get it right. Um, I think one of the problems with discovery is that we treat it as a discrete event in sales. We have a stage that's a discovery stage. And that's problematic for a host of reasons, uh, not the least of which is, uh, what, you're only going to ask questions once? Um, is, yeah, to me, I'm interested in your thoughts, Buzz. I mean, I, I do discovery in every single interaction, right? It's, it's as I engage with the, the buyer, the prospect, they're going through their process, they're learning more, they're continuing to evolve in their knowledge and understanding of their problem and how they might, the outcomes they might possibly achieve. So I need to keep digging. What's your take on that? 100%. Discovery never ends. Discovery never dies. So why do we have it? Yeah, we've got a discovery stage, and here are the exit criteria for the discovery stage. It's like, dude, you're just you're training sellers that I'm going to ask these questions and put it away. And it's like, right. does a huge disservice to sellers because they need to understand that this is something that you do every time you interact with the buyer. Yeah, you make a very good point. I think... If anybody is going to train their sellers to run discovery effectively, they have to tell them two things. Number one, let's just set the stage for for both of us. Mm-hmm. Discovery never, never ends. The entire sales conversation is a discovery conversation. Uh, I used to tell folks, uh, you know, the, the purpose of a demo from our perspective is just another excuse to conduct more discovery. Yes, of course, the prospect wants to see how we can help them, obviously. But it's just an excuse for us to continue doing more discovery and it never stops. And I think the second thing is, now that we do set that stage, uh, we call the first call a discovery call, quote unquote, um, because we want to ideally start discovery off on the right foot. I'd rather not ask uh, questions maybe later on in the cycle that I maybe should have asked at the beginning so that discovery can be and kind of like if you're looking at a graph, it's continuing to escalate Mm -hmm. along along with the conversation as opposed to a very haphazard, you know, I went here and then I went back here. There's nothing wrong with going back, right? Right. Right, and stuff like that. But I think that just setting the framework to an account executive of what discovery is. It's all over. The, it's, it's forever. And the discovery call is there to set this. Let's set the stage right for both parties so that my discovery going forward can continue to be more effective as we speak. Okay. That's why I'm thinking about it based on what you said. Good. No, I like that. So <clears throat> not that that's a requirement. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know what to call the first call, right? We all call it a discovery call. But yes, you are right. People can get people can get confused. Well, we're going um, so to dig into this because again, I think we look at it so superficially that it's a, it's our problem. So, in your mind, what's what's the goal of discovery? It's important because I think 
sellers don't understand this. And I, right. I bring this up every time I, almost every time I, I talk about discovery. Um, so in your mind, what's, what's the goal of discovery? Well, from my end, Andy, the goal, the, the ultimate goal of discovery is to empower the prospect to realize that they want to um, improve something for themselves. So mm -hmm. if I were to just elongate that a, a little bit differently, uh, ultimately the goal is I want to give the prospect the power to get to some sort of self-realization. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right? That's the key word I'm looking for. Self-realization. Okay. That something is an obstacle, for example. Mm -hmm. It's not just necessarily about an obstacle, but I'm going to use that for now. Sure. Something is, is, is an obstacle that's worth talking more about and worth potentially doing something about and getting them to tell you, not getting them, but empowering them. I'm being careful with my words here. Empowering them to say, hey, you know, this is something that's, that's worth talking more about and right. determining what we should do about it. So that's really okay. ultimately the, to the purpose of discovery from my end is self-realization. Of course, selfishly, right, from a salesperson's perspective. Sure. Right? There is some sort of uh, they, they would ideally like them to realize something that's in favor of the salesperson, but it is ultimately self-realization. If they come to the self-realization that something is not that important, uh, of course, th that's there's reason for further discussion right. around that. But that's how I think about discovery. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this recently too, and I'm I write about this in my new book coming out next year. Shameless plug: It's my show. I can do that. Is is I think that in sales in general we just we have to and your I liked your explanation very simple crisp and I would, this is sort of tangential of that not necessarily exclusive of what you're talking about but I I think sellers need to understand that you know the job of of a seller is fundamentally is to listen to understand what's the most important thing to a buyer and then help them get that. Now, if you're going to encapsulate sales, that's it in a nutshell, right there. And so discovery right. then becomes making sure you discover and understand what that most important thing is. And in every deal, I believe, in my experience over four-plus decades of large enterprise sales and so on, is that there's always one thing that's most important. And if you really want to win the deal – and put yourself in the most advantageous position and to be able to help the customer, to your point, achieve the self-realization, you need to understand and help them understand what the one thing is. Right. And so as a seller, to me, if you're going into discovery, yes, you've got questions you want to ask, but the questions have to be leading to the point where you think, yeah, I understand what that most important thing is. And until you do... You're going to be at a disadvantage if one of your competitors finds it out because they're not going to volunteer it. <laughs> Again, my experience is they rarely, customers rarely volunteer this because sometimes, to your point about self-realization, they don't know it themselves. Correct. It's interesting you're saying this, Andy, because it, it, it's interesting because on the one hand, as salespeople, we are taught to um, 
right? Uncover, quote unquote, uncover a problem. On the other hand, we're also taught, well, prospects don't necessarily know what problems they have. So how are you mm -hmm. teaching me to uncover a problem? And then you're also telling me that they don't know their problem necessarily. <laughs> so right. it's kind of like, what, what's going on here? You got to pick one or the other. And from I my the other. Right. No, I think it's, it's, I think if you go into a sales situation, assuming the buyer fully understands the problem and the potential outcomes they can achieve by resolving it or addressing it, again, by going back to the previous example, fully understanding what the most important thing is. And yeah, you're, you're just operating on assumption. And right. yeah, you can go through life like that and occasionally you'll hit a winner. Um, but if you want to do it more consistently and, and help your customers to a greater degree, you go with the belief that, yeah, they serve no, but my job is here is to help them explore and come to the self-realization, which is a good word, of what the problem is and how I want to solve it. Right. And in addition to what you're saying, Andy, you know, that you, and actually I've heard you talk about this before, uh, about the one thing. I think I heard you talk about it live uh, when you had, when we had those. Um, and, you know. I, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. And once they say, you know, this is the most important thing, um, that also allows the salesperson to say, you know, um, something like, well, what else could could be important as a result of that, like what? Yeah, obviously, there are impact questions and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. You know, where? What else do you think that has a? Because of that number one problem that we've really tackled here, what what else do you think that has an effect on? Mm -hmm. And they'll tell you other problems, so that that one problem becomes for themselves a little bit bigger. So it's kind of like you, we, from your perspective, Andy, you want to get to the one main root, and then maybe there yeah, are a lot of branches. Yeah. Well, you just talked about yeah using using impact questions, which I think is is a great way. Is yeah, what's so what would the impact be on you personally? If what would be the impact be on the organization if you were able to achieve this particular outcome? Oh, well, interesting. Okay, well then let's walk me through that. What would that look like? Right, because once you sort of start identifying things, you know the purpose of discovery, and I'll I'll qualify this in a second is is it was about quantifying, right? You need to quantify value, right? And so you need to ask the questions that lead the customer to be thinking in terms of, yeah, if this has a dollar impact, what is that dollar impact, right? Or right. If it's, so, and so I, the thing I was going to qualify in the sense, a different sense of the word qualify, is I think we should be splitting discovery into two, two parts, mental framework that we give sellers. One is discovery, I'm gathering information. The second stage is understanding. Now I've gathered this information, how much do I really understand or do I really understand the most important thing to the buyer? Do I really understand what the impacts would be for them? And this is what I see all the time is this huge gap that exists that, that trips up sellers is yeah, we know this stuff. Yeah, we've asked our questions. We ask the questions we always ask. Uh, yeah, we thought we threw some new ones in. We've got this information. Okay. So how much do you really understand? Right. 
And part of, Andy, I'd add, part of gathering the information is to contribute information mm-hmm. to them Absolutely. in order to gather that information. Yeah, yep. I, I think information, I might, I might replace that word with insight, right? Uh, not necessarily place, but information and or insight. If I want to get some insight from them, I want to contribute some insight to them. Sure. Um, so that, yeah, so that um, I can even gather more information. And back to the definition of discovery, they can uh, gather more information about themselves because of this conversation. Get Just like under- when we see a get therapist. Get a better understanding of themselves. See, I, yes, I, be- I'm, yes. I'm always going to draw that distinction because, but I said, we know a lot. We don't always understand it. And a better understanding it, yeah. of themselves, exactly. And a better understanding on our part, on their part, leads to positive outcomes. A hundred percent. I wish, Andy, they would change the name of the profession uh, from selling to something else. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's that's just a side conversation because when you think of, hey, I'm in sales, I got a sales role, now my job is to sell. And it's a little confusing. I might be going on a bit of a tangent here. No, go ahead. Because, you know, selling is not really, you know, we, we use it as a, as an action, right? I'm now selling when a sale is just a result of having these type of self-realization uh, conversations on behalf of the prospect or the prospect better understands themselves mm-hmm. to hey, say, Andy, you know, I, I'd be interested in speaking further. And then we're just asking questions. Does it make sense to talk more? Do you think this is something you want to talk more about again? Um, is this something you think would be um, relevant to other folks on the team? You're kind of like just guiding them through the entire thing until ultimately there is a sale, but it's not really any selling. It's more of like guiding. I, I, don't, I don't even know what, what, what uh, word I would well, replace it with, but that's just a side tangent. Yeah, well, selling can be guiding, I think, and that, that's fine. I, we also have this one level not all of us, but many that we're sort of ashamed of this idea that we're associated with, with selling, and yeah, yeah, we understand where that comes from. There's certainly lots of people that practice it in such a way that that doesn't seem to be the same sport, right? That right. that we that we play. Um, right. I actually have a funny story, Andy. When yeah. I was an individual contributor, I have a lot of funny stories, I'm sure, as do you. I was about to share my screen to do a demonstration with a prospect. And the first thing they saw without me realizing was my Salesforce opportunity pipeline on my screen. So he said, Charles, you know, I'm looking at your, forecast. your sales <laughs> pipeline right now. And the first thing I said was, Bob, you, you caught me. I'm in sales. And he started cracking up because it's kind of like, I know I'm in sales, and it's no secret that I'm in sales, and that's totally okay. And it just brought us to a, right. a better... Well, and it should be okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, I think we make it more okay. We will make it more okay as more professional salespeople really begin to understand just what their job is. You know, we talked about listening to understand the most important thing to the buyer than helping them get it. If that's your job. You're going to act really differently than if you think your job is hit my quota and 
so if we got to continue to reframe for people or put in the appropriate frame for sellers, exactly what their job is. I make a mistake. We're, we're doing this to get this outcome for them and for us, right? I mean, we still want to make money. We still want to make money for our company. We still want to make money for ourselves. We want to do a good job in our, our, or in our work. I mean, no one's, no one's fooled that we're there to help them make a decision. So, right. but we just have to reframe in the minds of the sellers exactly how they're going to make that happen. Because I believe we're at this sort of crisis point, if you will, where we still are sending training and sending seller after seller out into the field, uh, you know, virtually or physically, that that their primary mode of behavior is what I call salesy behavior. The one we all can recognize, the salesy behavior. If that's your default mode of operation, then yeah, we're always going to have this this sort of issue. But if we can help sellers learn that that shouldn't be the default, that's behavior that no one enjoys, buyer doesn't enjoy it, that's cringeworthy for them, and it's not good for you because as a seller, if you're out acting salesy, that's not who you are. I'm sure there's some people that made that who they are instinctively, but vast, 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 small minority of, of sellers. And I think it contributes to a lot of the issues that exist in sales that have become amplified in the last two years with the pandemic in terms of mental health issues and stress. Is yeah. I'm being asked to go do something in a way that just seems off to me, right? That's not aligned with who I am as a human. And I've, I'll put on the act and I'll go do it because I think that's what I need to do. But no one likes it. Buyer doesn't like it. Sellers don't like it. Yeah, the seller wouldn't like it if it was done to them. Yeah, so why do we keep doing it? Right. Actually, Andy, I'm lucky enough as a, a sales coach here to be on the other end. As you know, sellers don't get the chance to be sold anything to. And it might be cool, ideally, to get salespeople as part of a training on the other end of how other people are selling things to your organization. So it might be a good idea, let's say, if I'm just thinking out loud here, some of the senior leaders, they're considering buying a certain tool, and they might say, okay, everyone, uh, we want everybody to be on this call too. You'll be on mute. We're just going to ask the questions, and you take note how you like being sold to. What are you seeing that you like? What are you seeing that you're not liking? from this outside account executive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that actually could be really, really helpful if they're able being able to be on the other end being sold things, right? So I, I, yeah, I'm a little no, bit hyper. So go put ahead. Them, put, put them on the, put on the, the buying committee. Put right. salespeople on the buying committee. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, one startup I was on, I was, I was running sales, but I was on the buying committee and, and, yeah, first-hand view of, uh, of uh, Oracle and some others that were trying to sell to this account, to our company. And I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think that better than role plays, because you actually get to see somebody in action and not sort of an artificial, constructed environment, right? But, but yeah, they need more exposure to just see. I mean, it's seemingly, we're at a point where it's not enough 
to have bad results, right? I mean, if you're an AE in a SaaS company and you could be one of the top performers, you're only closing one of every five deals, right? Well, really? What are you, what are you learning? <laughs> I mean, it's like clearly not enough. It's, and so, yeah, things like you're talking about is just a way to reframe in people's minds exactly what it is that they need to do to be more consistent in, in the outcomes they get. And yeah, it really, it starts with the buyer, right? Because you know, we've got these sales processes that are all for the convenience of the seller. You know, I'll ask people on the show and ask tool vendors, uh, yeah, because there's an explosion of sales tech. It's like, okay, here's a question for you. So how does your sales process help the buyer make their decision? Well, well, it doesn't. It's, you know, it's for our sellers. Oh, okay, interesting. So how's the sales tech you use? Yeah. How's that sales tech help the buyer make their decision? <laughs> and, we, and we just seem to think that we can barrel down these parallel paths that don't have, almost have no connection to each other and expect things to happen at a, a high rate, you know, a high win rate. Now, of course you can. So right. it, it, I know we sort of gone off on a, a little bit. I'm on my soapbox, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, this is this is this is still the issue. Yeah, everybody wants to talk about sales acceleration, sales performance improvement, and so on. And unless we pretty radically rethink or simplify, I would actually go simplify mm-hmm. what we're doing and just make it really easy for people to understand. As I said before about you know, listening to understand the most important thing to the buyer and help them get that. If every salesperson started their day thinking on each of my calls, right? And let's say an AE, every, everyone, every opportunity I'm working on, this is my goal. Every action I take should align with this goal. They'd do better. You know, you're, yeah, you're, you're reminding me, I'm going to say two things. One, yes, it is our responsibility as sales professionals to go out and help the buyer, um, I think maybe add a little asterisk there, but not at the expense of what we are responsible for as salespeople, because a buyer can easily take advantage of a salesperson. Like a, oh, sure. A, yeah. So that's you know, I may be stating the obvious, but there's definitely a, a healthy push pull. Uh, well, the buyer, the buyer should be completely. You should be completely transparent with the buyer what your motivations are. Hey, my motivations are I am I am here to help you make a decision on this. And just so we're clear though, if you do well, I do well. That's fine. Yeah, you can be, you can be, yeah, if you've read uh, Adam Grant's book, you know, give and take, so givers and takers. It's okay to be a giver with an agenda. As uh-huh. long as you're transparent with what the agenda is. Right. If you I like go in with a seller and say, look, I'm here to help you. And we're going to help you. But then you get to the last week of the month and go, but now I know you weren't going to make your decisions until next month. But if you bring it in this month, we'll give you 10% off. Boom. They suddenly understand your motivations. You were just lying. You weren't there to help them. You were there to get the order. You can do both. You can do both. Uh, yeah, 100%. In fact, what I do now is, you know, a lot of buyers, well, who are still interested in maybe something that we have to offer, um, may be hesitant that to buy because they may not have time to use it or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll say, listen, at the end of the day, if you don't feel like you are going to use this, 
what's going to happen is we're going to be in this relationship for a year and then you're going to be unhappy and we're going to be unhappy because we didn't get the time to help you and you didn't have the time to use it. And then what good is that? Right. And then if that's not something that you have, that's probably not a good idea to work together. Um, what do you guys think? Right. And that's something that anybody would appreciate. It's just, it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The motivation is, is, is there. Um, and uh, they, it just makes them want to talk to you a little bit more, quite frankly. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I love this quote from Emerson. He said, you know, what you do speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. And this should be a guiding, guiding words for sellers is that, you know, your actions align with your words. Your transparency, your motivations are transparent to the buyer. And part of that is, yes, if I help you succeed, I am going to succeed as well. And people are fine with that. Just be clear about it. Right. 100% aligning expectations appropriately. Why am I here? Why are you here? Well, it's just that when you, to a sort of point, a sort of feeding off point you had made earlier, it started making, is, is that, Yes, there are some people here that, and I've I've been at like a Gartner conference and somebody, I forget who was presenting, it was one of the Gartner analysts talking about, well, you know, being a giver in sales is bad. It's like, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But their definition of giver is somebody who's an open-ended, unrestrained giver, right? And they're the person that's afraid to engage in the tough conversation, ask the tough questions. Sure, we know people like that. They're just... They think they'll make the customer happy and the customer will buy just because they give them everything. Uh-huh. But as Adam Grant talks in that book, is, is yeah, actually the most effective people in careers are givers. They're both at the bottom of the scale and the top of the scale. But they're givers who have an agenda, right? I'm giving because you know, we're working this together and you're going to get something and I'm going to get something. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you're also reminding me, Andy, of a conversation I had a while back with an investor who um, ultimately admitted to having a problem, mm-hmm. right? And but didn't want to talk further. Still, so mm-hmm. my question to him was, I forgot exactly how I prefaced it, um, but I said something to the effect of. Bob, uh, you know, it sounds like you feel that's a challenge. Um, given that you don't want to talk further, is that because you feel like the challenge is not big enough, or is it because you don't really believe that we have the capability to help you? And he said, Charles, if you could prove to me that you can help me, then that's worth speaking about. So um, he didn't, you know, he admitted to a problem. Yeah. Um, but he still didn't want to talk. And I asked him, well, in a nice way, why not? Is it because the problem's not big enough or you just don't believe that we can help you? And he told me, I don't believe you can help me. <laughs> right. I said, well, if I can prove to you otherwise, do you think it's worth talking more? <laughs> right. I'm not doing it. I'm not telling him anything. I'm trying to just ask Right. And it, it was great. It was just a great experience. The conversation afterward was fantastic because just from him, for his perspective, who, who, who asks that question to him? Right, it's a very straightforward, yeah. honest question, right. uh, which is part of part of discovery. 
Um, it's okay if you don't want to work with us, but you know, from my perspective, selfishly as the account executive, if you don't want to work with us, that's cool. At least selfishly, if you're going to say no, at least get a full understanding of what you're saying no to, right? Because you could say no, because I don't believe you can help you. I don't believe you can help me. Thanks. And then there's no more conversation. All of a sudden, I said, I don't believe you can help me. Mm-hmm. Instead of it's a no, maybe maybe you could. I'll give it a shot. And then all of a sudden, well, oh, they can help me. It's a great situation for what I call an insight question. So for me, insight questions are questions that that the buyer should have the answers to, but probably doesn't. And you get that from really knowing your existing customers, right? And what they're going through and the value they've received from your product and and really digging down, not being superficial, but really digging down to find what their most important thing was, right? Because chances are maybe forgotten or you didn't really know it in the first place and how your solution helped them achieve that. And then you store that up. Those are then questions you bring out to ask the buyer at certain times. You know, in my business, for years, worked with CEOs to help transform their sales. And you know, my sort of lead insight question was always, well, so can you tell me how many hours of selling time does it take to move a prospect from initial point of contact to a win? No one knew that answer. Right, no one <laughs> But that's the very definition of productivity in sales is how many selling hours does it take us to move somebody from initial point of interest to to a closed contract, uh, both win and loss, because you want to measure both those. You could say, yeah. And so, but instantly, everybody wanted to have that conversation. Well, why is that important? Why should I know that? I'd never really thought of that before. What's that tell me? And you just, you get into it at that point. Right. It's almost like, Sorry, you're getting me excited. Almost like the best discovery questions are the ones the buyer doesn't know the answer to. (laughs) Almost to some degree, yeah. And they don't want to be you don't want to be gotcha questions, but they're questions that they reasonably would want to know the answer to. Because it's going to trigger their curiosity, and it may even trigger a little bit of panic on their part because you know what you're saying is, yeah, well, this is what we've learned from working with our existing customers. Uh, and it's like, oh, well, shouldn't I know that? So you get this little FOMO going on. And so it's it's a great trigger for a conversation. And it's a question. And it's a valid question that they should know. Not you should know the answer to, but should want to know the answer to. And I've, I, I haven't encountered a situation where someone said, well, that's not important. It's like, oh, yeah, really? <laughs> right. And a form of that's there, that's, this, this, that's the self-realization spot right there. And what they're saying, when, when you ask that question, what's also in their mind is, oh, Charles, he's pretty smart. This is interesting. Yeah, I'd never, no one else has asked me that question. Hmm. Yeah, let's have this conversation. Exactly. And then they, they're drawn in. They want to, yeah. I, lo- I want to speak to you more. Yeah, absolutely. Because you guys spotted something that no one else has spotted. Yeah, I think Andy cra- crafting that one or two question, those one or two questions, I think yes. I can't speak for most sales teams, but I'm sure that there are many sales teams that have not sat down and just crafted those two questions. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it's a collective effort, right? Because what you're doing is saying, look, we're going to get together because we're, we've talked, it could be customer success involved in it, depending on your organization, how you're structured. But we, we've spent this time with our existing customers. And this is sort of gets back to the point we made about the most important thing. And I learned that early in my career because is uh, I remember one of the first really big deals I worked on as a salesperson at the time. It was like a $300,000 deal. It'd be like, yeah, over a million in today's dollars. And so it was a big deal. And the customer made us jump through hoops. We were selling a computer system with all the general ledger accounting modules. And, and we were having to demonstrate all the software. And I remember going back to the customer like six months later uh, and doing sort of first walkthrough after they've gotten everything installed, all the modules installed. And I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> we, we demonstrate general ledger, accounts payable, accounts receivable, ERP, everything. But you're only doing billing. He goes, well, yeah, this is where we're making all the money. I said, damn. <laughs> Was I stupid? But this is... But this has happened time and time again, right? Every time there's just this one thing, and you, you can either find it afterwards or you can find it beforehand. It makes your, you know, it transforms your ability to win a deal if you find it out beforehand. Right. So, getting back to the thing about these insight questions, is you go back to your customer and say, well, how are they using our product? And I guarantee you there's always one thing they're driving the biggest amount of value from it. And you want to find out, okay, why? What's going on? Why is that so important to them? What, what quantify what they're seeing, the results they're seeing from it, then that becomes that basis for one of those inside questions you ask somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then they walk away, as well as the seller, they walk away remembering that conversation more. Absolutely. Than they would have if you talked about 20 different problems. Right, because um, you did two things with them with that question. One is you... To your point earlier, you gave them some, some, some more knowledge, which they didn't have before. So it's part of that two-way street. They then, in their own mind, were qualifying you as a potential vendor or a potential salesperson even to invest their time and attention in. And you got raised in status in their eyes on that basis as well. Yeah, so, and I think part of the, um, part of the big thing that... I've learned, Andy, is, and this should be of no surprise to you, is a lot of times uh, salespeople know what questions they should be asking, but a lot of them don't know necessarily how to ask it so that it lands well mm -hmm. with the prospects. Yes. I'll pick a very simplistic example. If somebody, you can ask a prospect, well, what impact do you think that has on the team? And the prospect might say, well, I mean, if you know my business, you should know the impact that it would have, depending on the type of prospect that you're speaking to. Right. Right. So that's a very – so I, I, on the one hand, I'm taught – wait, I, I'm taught to ask this question, right? But on the other hand, I have to know how I can best ask that question depending on who I'm speaking to. Right. So, so I, but the, the, what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is a lot of times account executives don't necessarily know how to deliver a question even though they're being taught, ask this question. I don't right. really know how to ask it. So what I like to do here is I, we go over a lot of – and to your point, like you don't want to get the prospect to say, hey, I got gotcha. you. 
right? We don't want the question to come across as I got you, right? Mm -hmm. So we use, you know, we use humbling disclaimers here, which might sound like, you know, Andy, I recognize that this might sound like a weird question or a tricky question or, or this, I'm not really sure how to ask this, but when you think about X, you know, how do you go about, you know, what impact do you think that might have, right? So there's right. like a, I'm preparing you for a question that I don't really know how to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and you'll help me answer it because you know that I'm not trying to trick you almost. I'm not, this is like yeah. almost like setting the stage. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I um, like to use the sort of preface to it. Say, well, hmm, so walk me through this, right? So if you were to make this decision, what would the impact be? And then specifically, right? Walk me through this. What would it be on a day-to-day basis? You know, you want to have you want to have the customer walk you through the details, right? How this would affect the operation of this department or the, you know, the day-to-day routines of the individuals and you know the department of sales team, let's say if they're buying a piece of sales tech, is get it down to that. Just Walk me through, right? If you could help me with this, walk me through. What's this? What would this look like? And take it as granular as you can, because what happens then is is they start envisioning it themselves, right? Because if they're having to explain it to you, they're sort of taking this mental test drive of what it would be like mm-hmm. to actually use your product, service, whatever, and that starts creating in their mind sort of this vision of success. What's success going to look like? And that's that becomes sort of your ultimate objective as a seller is to create this vision of success in the mind of the buyer about what the problem is, how, how they want to solve it. And so taking these mental test drives and getting very granular, for me it's just been always very, very effective because, A, people want to talk about it. They want to sort of brainstorm it. Right. And they're doing it at this operational level that it's very, I, I call it you know, mental test drive. It's akin to going to a car dealership, hopping in a car and driving. And even when you're, before you leave the, the dealer's lot, you're sitting behind the wheel, you're already thinking, oh, this is so much fun. This would be so much cool to take on a drive through the woods, you know, tight, twisty turns and so on. We all do that. It's just sort of human nature. So you don't put them in that situation. Discovery is really a brainstorming discussion. That's what it is. Yeah. It's a brainstorming discussion, and as you are explaining, you know how you go ahead and say, "Hey, walk me through this." What 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 I'm realizing, uh, and it's important to point out, is when a prospect sees that you, the account executive, are slowing down and you're thinking, they see that you're thinking about what they just said. You're you're silent or you're taking notes. And you're giving something a lot of thought based on what they just shared with you. And you're now asking them a thoughtful question. They're going to be even more motivated to answer your question because they see that you're really thinking about it. Yeah. You're thinking about what they said. You're thinking about a thoughtful question to ask that's going to make them think. And because of those two things, they're saying, hey, this is going to be a good conversation. I'm, I'm going to contribute to this conversation and, and ultimately help come to my own realization about what, what we're talking about here. So right. that's, that's well, what comes I think to mind. The key thing you're talking about there is that, and this is a part, again, that trips up a lot of sellers, 
is they assume that if they ask a question, the buyer will answer it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And also they assume that the buyer answers it, that it's the truth. Not that they're lying to them, but it's the truth meaning it's the right answer. They take things at face value. And, yeah, I mean, as a seller, you always have to keep reminding yourself that, that the buyer is making a choice about how to, how to invest their time and their attention. And you have to keep earning that time and attention. And asking great questions is one way to do that. And making sure you understand so you're asking great follow-up questions. Because the customer knows, right? Well, I've, I've never had to explain at that level of depth before. That's not a complaint. That's, oh, now you understand. And right. if you get to the point where, and I had this, I was telling the story recently, somebody has had a sort of big, <laughs> big deals working on it in Europe uh, years ago. And, and we were the, we thought we were the underdog. We were a startup. We were competing against big guys who were much more established vendors than we were. But we, we thought we had a better solution for the customer. But we really weren't certain, and we sort of get this big bake-off presentation over the course of a couple of days and you know, get on a plane, fly to Europe. And I didn't present. What I did was just whiteboarded our understanding of what their problem was and what our solution would do for them, the outcomes they could achieve with it, and so on. And then the meeting was over. They said, thank you. And we got a call at the hotel later. We won the deal. Uh, they were going to give it to us. And I was sort of like, yay. And they said, you were the only one that we felt understood us. This is where understanding becomes so important in selling. It's not about, you know, there's a, I don't know, it was Benjamin Disraeli, a former British prime minister back in the 1800s, I think, quoted saying, you know, he with the most information wins. Mm. And I think that's wrong. I think he with the most understanding wins. Mm-hmm. And I think that more than anything about discovery is you're trying to get to a point of understanding, not a point of knowledge. Why is it, Andy? I'm going to ask you a question, if I may. Why sure, is it that you know the, the the prospect, you know, that makes sense? Hey, you understand us more. That doesn't necessarily mean that that the sales that that company who they're planning on buying from can help them more, right? They Not may understand. In other words, Not they always. may understand them more, but their product is inferior, <laughs> right? Sometimes. And sometimes you win on that basis. I mean, I wouldn't say that, and you're probably the same thing as, as in every competitive deal I was in. I'm pretty sure we didn't have the best product on all of those. I mean, I'm sure in some, even if we thought we did, I'm sure there were areas that might have been important to the buyer that we were deficient. Right. But people buy the total package. Right. They buy the total package, exactly. It's a very good point you're making. Yeah. I mean, it's Very product. It's you. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll end on this because we're we're getting near the end. But uh, you probably hear the sirens outside there. <laughs> but yeah, for everything we've talked about, I mean, one of the, I believe one of the real values of discovery for a seller is that 
you are answering a question that exists in the mind of every buyer, which is, why you? Right? Why should I invest my time in you? Why should I invest my uh, efforts in you? Why should I believe you? Why should I, I you know, list of questions that if you take the middle word out of them, they all start with why and end with you. And, and a lot of people these days don't think that that's relevant. And it's as relevant, if not more relevant than ever, is that buyers have to make a decision about how they allocate their time and attention. They've got, everybody has limited amount of time and attention. So they're going to invest it in those areas where they believe they're going to get the best return. And that could be you. Correct. And the more we, the more we slow down to understand, the more the conversation will by nature be sped up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation about how buyers actually make decisions, which is dramatically different from what most people think, but it's, it's nothing new. Somebody won a Nobel Prize on it back in the, I think it was awarded in the 70s, but for the work he did in the 50s, kind of Herbert Simon. Yeah, if, we can't delve into it now, but cool. it's easier than people think. Awesome. Yeah, definitely easier than people think for sure, but we got to keep it simple as, as, as much as we can. All right. Well, Charles, it's been a pleasure. So, Andy, thank to, you so much. People want to connect with you. What's the best way to do that? LinkedIn. I post about discovery all the time. You do. I can, I can vouch for that. Yeah. And always, uh, as the president of Toyota once said, there is no best, only better. So mm-hmm. uh, anybody can feel welcome to reach me on LinkedIn in a private message. Perfect. All right, Charles. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Andy, for having me. This was fantastic. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Charles Mulbauer, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.